Welcome to the Horseman's Academy podcast presented by Lundahl Performance. We believe in making advanced horsemanship accessible, and our mission is to present a raw, authentic look at horse training. We're problem solving, we're answering difficult questions, and we're breaking down common sense exercises for riders of all levels. On this podcast, we document the lessons we've learned in our own horsemanship journey while offering insights that might help you achieve your horsemanship goals. Thank you for listening. Hey guys, Jake Lundahl here. Today I wanted to share the audio from a Facebook Live broadcast I did back in March with Jennifer Osborne of Fire and Ice Horses out of Las Vegas. Um, Jennifer is somebody that I really, really highly respect um, because she is a passionate horsewoman who's a very dedicated learner and a student of the horse. She's somebody that is always investing in herself and, and trying to get better. And even though we come from completely different sides of the horse world in terms of our interests, um, you know, we share that passion for learning. So in this live broadcast, we talk about a lot of things. We talk about learning and horsemanship and investing in yourself. Um, We particularly center the discussion around the Along for the Ride Symposium that happened back in February with Andrea Fapani, Sean Flareda, and Nick Dowers. I watched the live stream of that event all three days. Jennifer attended it in person, and we kind of got together afterwards because we were both very excited about what we learned, and then we thought, well, why not just turn on the camera, jump on a Zoom call, and talk about it? So here it is. All righty. We're live, I think, and uh, Amy's telling me that we're live on Facebook as well, so it should be good to go. Um, for those of you, cause we're going to put this in the podcast feed. So, um, for those of you that are, for, are not familiar with her, I'm, I'm talking today with Jennifer Osborne of Fire and Ice Horses out of Las Vegas. Um, Jennifer, you just want to briefly introduce yourself and, and kind of talk about what you do. Cause, um, you do some really cool stuff. You're from the eventing world. You work with off the track thoroughbreds. You do a ton of stuff. Um, I've known you for a long time and you're a great horsewoman. So just briefly introduce yourself. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, so um, let me just start at the beginning on how I got into horses. People always ask me how I got into horses. Um, they're always like, oh, you're black. I don't know how you got into I'm just kidding. Anyway, but they're always asking me, <laughs> how did you get into horses? We don't understand. So um, when I was four years old, we lived in Teaneck, New Jersey, and the neighbors across the street um were low-level mobsters. It was like the Sopranos, 100% true, 100% true. Um, And he um, had some trotting horses up in Yonkers, which is fairly close to Teaneck, New Jersey, if anybody knows that. So he um, had trotting horses and he also had like coloring books and horse toys and all these things. And now when I retell the story, it sounds creepy because like people don't do these things anymore for their neighbor's kids. But back then there was like literally nothing creepy going on. Like my brother and I would go over there and, and he would have the coloring books and I was getting into, you know, it was interesting me in horses. And um, then he said to my mom, hey, why don't you take her down to this local park that had pony rides? And so I started doing the pony rides and I would beg my mom every week we would go. And then we ended up moving to Illinois. And then um, my mom was like, okay, well, you can go to the summer camp that teaches horseback riding lessons. 
And then she said, well, do you want to take English or Western? And I was like six. And I was like, I don't care. I just want to be on the horse. It doesn't matter to me. And she said she wanted me to take English riding lessons. So I was like, okay, whatever, you know, that's fine. And so I started taking English riding lessons. And then that evolved into me not even wanting to go to the camp, just wanting to go to the barn. And then um, this was the 80s. So you could drop your kid off there at six in the morning and come get him at eight at night. And yeah. it was fine. So yeah. I would just, yeah. Like, I mean, so I was doing everything at the ranch. Like they didn't have automatic water. So, you know, carrying 10 gallon buckets to, you know, everything. I was doing all that with horses. Fast forward. I went to college. I got an equine science degree from Colorado state. Um, and now I'm using that, uh, to run my horse rescue, um, on the side, um, as a living, um, as a profession, I'm a professional firefighter. Uh, but, uh, on the side, because I only work 10, 24 hour shifts a month, the other 20, I run my horse rescue, um, because of my love of racehorses, obviously started by the trotting horses and the very popular movie, The Black Stallion. <laughs> I love thoroughbreds. Um, I've always, I have a love affair with thoroughbreds. And so now I run a thoroughbred rescue where I rescue them from right from the racetrack. The last one I picked up at Santa Anita. Um, and then I retrain them to be an all around horse with a focus on three day event. And how I originally met you was a, a horsemanship clinic back when I was still apprenticing for down yeah. under in uh, yeah. Paso Robles, California. And that's one of the reasons I was really interested in having you on is, is since I've known you, you've been somebody that has always been investing in their own horsemanship knowledge and getting better. Like, seems like I see you all the time, especially on Facebook, you're do going to clinics and doing private lessons with various trainers. Um, you came out here last summer and worked with us for a couple of weeks and actually got me into the thoroughbreds as well. It got me my <laughs> own thoroughbred mare to train. Um, so like you're, you're constantly doing all this stuff and of, of a lot of the people I've met, you're, you're one of the few that I think genuinely loves like getting better at horsemanship. Like you genuinely want to not just do a good job for the thoroughbreds that you rescue, but like build your skill set, like just have an all around really mm -hmm. a, a good skill with horses, whether it's starting and rehoming the ones. And then you've got your, you've got like a Jordan that I saw you posted on Facebook about again recently and MC, yeah. like these okay. horses are kind of like low key, kind of famous a little bit like <laughs> yeah. in, in some of the eventing circles you run in, like you, yeah. you, you're taking those horses to a higher level, but then also still starting the ones off the track. It's just, it's kind of a cool all around deal that you have going. Yeah. And um, so that is funny. I, I did want to, yeah, tell that story about how um, me and you and Amy met was so, you know, like that whole story, like while I was growing up, you were focused on how you rode, you know, that was, you know, and I mean, you know, I mean, we're talking about you're taking group lessons and you're jumping and everyone like there's like eight or nine kids and we're all on horses and ponies ranging in ability. And we would all like start cantering in a circle and they would set up jumps in the middle. And then they would be like, all right, everybody canter in a circle, like over this jump, like all together and kids are getting launched. And it's just like, it's, <laughs> just it's total a pandemonium. Thing. 
yeah, it's yeah. it's a yard sale. And yeah. I didn't know any different. I didn't know. All I knew was you get on the horse and keep riding them and eventually they get better. And then I, um, uh, after Fire Academy, I um, wanted to start a business. So I bought a horse that no one wanted. Um, it was my first horse. It was a mare. Nobody wanted it. Like you almost couldn't even get on it. Like you would lead it up to get on it. It would start backing up and all this stuff. And I knew just enough on how to like walk it around and like get on it. Just, just enough from like watching like YouTube or something like that, yep. you know, and I knew just enough. And so I ended up buying that horse and then doubling its value in two months and selling it. And then the next horse I bought was the horse MC, which, you know, <laughs> yep. Yep. and um, he was the first horse that I ever took directly from the racetrack that somebody else had started. And that's an important distinction. A lot of trainers will say they, they start their own horses and they don't. And I would, I always caution people when they're looking for a trainer, ask them it, number one, how many horses they've started in this current year? Cause they'll always say, Oh, 20 years ago, I did it. I don't do it anymore. Right, that's right. Trash that they're lying. <laughs> um, and then the other thing is, did you do the first 30 rides on the horse? Were you the first person on the first 30 rides to ever sit on that horse and be very specific? Cause a lot of people will be like, well, and they'll start like, well, I sent your trip, but then I got on, like they'll mm -hmm. like, breathe over that. Yep. And so MC was the first horse that I got who um, it had nothing other than race training. He never raced cause they couldn't get him in the gate cause he was so kooky. Um, and I got him to the point where he was rideable. I was jumping him. I think we even went to a couple competitions, but he was just still out of control. And then um, I did the uh, Greg Best, a clinic with Greg Best, who won the silver medal in show jumping. Um, and he said to me, this horse at the end of the clinic <laughs> and the horse, like, I was like, Oh wow, he's been being good. And he turned to me and he goes, this horse is almost unrideable, like uh, so yeah. out of control. He's almost unrideable and you need to find a way to get some training on him. And I have him on video saying this. He, he said, I would sedate this horse to get oh, training, man. which is a very common thing in the English thing. They, they, that's not like craziness. And so I was like, I'm not going to, he just felt wrong. I, I knew he was being nice. wasn't being mean. But I was just like, I think there's something else out there. And coincidentally, I got uh, tickets to one of the Down Under tours. And I went and I didn't know anything about that or anything. And I, it really, I was like, wow, that was kind of cool. This guy's really good with horses. And so then I did that clinic and he said that. And I was like, all right, well, let me start thinking about doing, doing this because I know I can do better with this horse. Yep. And then it was a thousand dollars for the three day clinic for, and I wasn't, um, I had just been promoted. I, it, that was a lot of money for me. I, and I had to save up and pay in increments. Now I don't even think about it, but like, I was like, Oh, this is a lot of money. Yep. And I went and I tell you, it was worth 10 times that I, what I learned in that clinic, it, it, I say it all the time. It changed my life with horses. It, it changed 
everything with horses. And if I had had that knowledge previous to getting my horse MC, he wouldn't have the majority of problems that he still or like, I can't get rid of all of it because he's been restarted four times. (laughs) It's like, it's like, I can't get rid of all of it. Like, you know, and so he's still a little kooky. He's 17 now. So it's kind of like, all right. Um, I'll keep you with me as an example of what not to do. And so I've continued with that. And I I remember that after the first day, of course, like immediately I was like, first of all, MC is giant. He's like 17 hands. And then like, you know, and then he's a spaz. So everyone, the audience, everyone's staring at me. And of course I was an immediate target for, which is what I wanted. I got my money's worth. And so, um, the first day he, um, uh, they sent me to work with you after, cause like, I'm so bad. <laughs> they were like, okay, you need way more help. <laughs> and I remember it was like a lightning bolt moment. Like, because what would happen is he would get nervous and upset and I would immediately desensitize him. And that was what you guys all focused on me doing was, was okay. That's okay. In the very beginning, but you need to make him comfortable with feeling pressure. And that was such a hard concept for me to get. And I remember like you were getting ready to get on him (laughs) and like, you're really tall and he's really tall. And you were just like, well, no, like you didn't really screw him up. But I was like, I was like, Oh, he's just being nice. I've really screwed this horse up. And I was just like, Oh man. And I just remember that those words, like kind of like, washing over me that you have to sensitize them to pressure and it's it's in a lot of people get that confused they're like well does that mean like i just spank them harder and and that's not what it means it means like you're just exposing them to like a stressful situation and forcing them to think their way out of that stressful situation and what i was doing was the minute he got stressed out i would go in and desensitize him and, and then go on with it. And so I was in fact teaching him that, oh my God, when I feel stressed, just freak out. And, and then the stress will go away. Right. And that was a really important thing in my horsemanship. And I think that I've always been into learning, but that really opened my mind to um, just the horsemanship side, which unfortunately a lot of people who write English, not everybody, but a lot of people who write English think that's a Western thing. And it's really not. Well, and I've, I've noticed like, especially in recent years, you know, there's this big movement, even in the Western and like natural horsemanship world of like this idea and everybody always takes it out of context, but this idea of training under threshold, which basically the way people interpret it as is that you never expose the horse to any pressure. You never make them feel any stress. You never put them in a bind. You never make the horse feel uncomfortable. And if they have a reaction, you're doing something wrong. That's the implication of the way that is taught. And, you know, like I completely believe the opposite, but with context, right? Like you can't just totally blow their mind up at the first approach, but you need to strategically expose them. And I remember that clinic, it was a an eye-opener for for several people there of like your horse was really having an overreaction to things mm-hmm. that were pretty mundane, like mm-hmm. asking to to send past me on the ground, you know, between me and the fence. And he's like just having all this emotion and stress. Yeah. But once he figured out, hey, there's actually an answer here, 
Mm-hmm. And then he mentally settled. You could tell that that lesson really sank in and that yeah. actually built his confidence. And the problem yeah. is the way a lot of people are practicing horsemanship now and the way that it's taught, quite frankly, in a lot of cases is to avoid those situations, you know, <laughs> and what it, what it destroys is your ability. Number one, to build any confidence in that horse to stay with you when the chips are down, when it's, when things are a little bit stressful, when there's distractions, And that kind of leads into my second point is people are not able to control their horse's mind or even keep their attention or really effectively teach them anything. They're just kind of a passenger with their horse. Um, And I think that clinic, you know, and, and like that was a, your horse and, and that whole situation was a great example of, of a horse that like, he wants to be good. He wants to look for the (laughs) answer. Yeah, but he's just in a habit of all this reactive right. behavior appearing the right. moment anything unfamiliar or a little bit of pressure is added, and it's just a habit with I culture, habits. a habit that I cultured, which I will own that. And a lot of people want to be like, "Oh, I didn't do no, 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 I cultured that," and I still to this day get people writing me. I saw you in the Paso Robles clinic with that horse, you know, because. I, it was hard for me. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I love, you know, (laughs) feeling people staring at me and like doing horrible, but I'm not afraid to learn in public because I, I like that kind of pressure. I like, I'm one of those weirdos that I like that pressure. Um, And I think that it's valuable for people to see. And there was a point where, you know, when we were going to do the cruising, and they were like, you know, do you want uh, the assistance to ride the horse? Do you want me to ride the horse? Or do you, you know, want to ride your own horse? And for a second, I was like, oh, man, maybe I should chicken out. Uh, and then I was like, no, like, everyone here will think that this type of training only works for people who are professionals. And it was important to me. First of all, I wasn't scared of my own horse. But second of all, I was. it was important to me to do it. And, and that's what I think made the impact was that you can be a big nobody as far as horses are concerned. And you, if you do this training, you'll be successful. And that's what really like bonded me to that kind of training. And for the people who think that your horse never has to be exposed to any kind of pressure, okay, good luck with that. Cause every plastic bag stress horses out. Like, I mean, like we going to rid the world yeah. of plastic bags and like that never happens. I just, I don't understand that. Right. right right yeah you're gonna come into because horses like talking about spooky objects like horses have terrible object recognition you can show them the same door but from different (laughs) angles and they don't they don't know that it's the same object that you just showed them a second ago you know and everybody knows that if they've ridden past something that their horse didn't spook at then they ride past at a different angle or on a different side and the horse freaks out like yeah that horses don't think like we do. And there's always going to be situations where they're going to be distracted. They're going to react to things and you need to be able to control that ride through it, stay with the horse, regain their attention and focus. You know, that, that should be that in my opinion, it's a skill of being able to control your horse's attention. How do you do that? Get better at controlling their body. Right. And we'll talk about the, the symposium you attended here in a second that, I think really went in depth on that and other ideas, but um, part of it was, was, it was huge of like engaging a horse's mind and, and being almost like captivating, being able to control and direct their attention to a positive outcome. 
I think that's an, an element of horsemanship that a lot of people, uh, frankly, lack or discount, you know, because like you're, you're on the back of a reactive prey animal that <laughs> yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't think like you do. Horses are very stimulus and reaction based creatures. And you right. really only have, you really only have two options when it comes to controlling what happens on the, when you're on their back, you yeah. can do something preemptive, meaning you're mm -hmm. already engaging their mind and kind of maintaining their focus and just not letting them wander. Or if a reaction does happen, try to do something after the fact to regain control. That's right. there's only two real ways to control a horse, you know? Um, and we'll kind of talk about that here as we get into it. But, um, so yeah, after that clinic, um, you know, I had done a couple lessons with you. I know you had done a couple clinics with Amy and just, yeah. kept, you know, kind of kept building your knowledge there. Um, you watched our video series, as I mentioned before, worked with us in person. Um, yeah. and yeah, it's just, it's been cool to see you over the years, like keep investing in yourself and, and building those skills and, and just constantly getting better. Yeah. And I think that people think that like, um, just in general, what happens is like, as they kind of learn the basics, then they feel like they don't need to take lessons anymore. And I feel like it's the opposite. I feel like I need more lessons now at this level because it's so, um, like it could be like the change from day to day when you're trying to train a upper level performance horse, like you kind of almost, especially if you haven't done it a bunch, right? Like if you haven't worked under like, you know, like Corey Cushing or, you know, Todd Bergen or anybody, or, you know, in the inventing world, if you haven't worked for Boyd Martin or any of those people and you haven't seen it a bunch, like you kind of do need somebody there in that moment. That'll be like, Oh no, no. Okay. So I know I told you when the horse, when you're trying to do this certain maneuver or whatever, you need to do a, B and C, but like right now at this second, the horse needs this. And so like, yep. I think that like it, it, it definitely shortens that learning curve. If you have someone there, like that's just like kind of watching you. If you just kind of go off into the, your own, it, it, I, I, me, it feels like it'll take forever. And, you know, like, I feel like, <laughs> you know, you only have so much more life left and like, I don't want to waste it. So I'd rather just like, right, you know, right. go and take lessons. It's, it, I mean, it's as far as like fun goes, like it's a very cheap way. Like I, I, I mean, I don't buy the most expensive saddles. I'd rather spend that money on education and, and having fun. I I've never gone to like a clinic or an experience um, that I've spent, you know, good amount of money on that I've been like, oh, that was a waste. It has never happened. I've always been like, wow, I could have spent 10 times that for the amount of knowledge. Like in those three day clinics, they give you three years worth of training instruction that you can then like kind of take with you. And I think that is the, probably the best part about um, the symposium. It was that it's on video. Like I almost wish I could watch the video. I wish we had made video of the fundamentals clinic that first, all of them actually, because I think like going back and rewatching it and see, Oh, I see a difference there or whatever. Um, but I understand why a lot of places they don't want any video of that. So that was one of the reasons why I like that. symposium. I think people underestimated how special that was that symposium that they're like, Hey, we're going to videotape this. We're going to allow people to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, like, uh, 
we're getting a little bit ahead of myself, just a slight diversion here, but like I was, uh, I've been working on and editing a lot of the video that we took um, when I was working with you and with Dana over the summer. And what I realized is like video of somebody working and, and them teaching like just their own program on their own horse versus like a, a more of a clinic type scenario where there's an instructor talking, trying to talk through the feeling of what the rider should be going for and mm -hmm. seeing the process unfold of that person figuring it out, I think is so much more valuable than what I call, um, this is a term from baseball. They talk about method coaching or technique coaching where mm -hmm. they nitpick your hand position, your footwork, your body position, your timing. And so you've got like a laundry list of steps you need to go through and mm -hmm. you can teach that way, but it's not very effective. What's more effective, I think, is that sort of experience of either you yourself in that moment with a mentor going through those right. things, because when you're learning, you don't have the intuition to know in a certain moment, like you referred to of, of what your horse needs in that exact moment. Right. And that instructor can give you direct feedback of like, no, you need to go for this, or I would do this here. Like yeah. that's almost a gut feeling that comes just through their level of experience that yeah. when you're learning, you don't have that, you know? Yeah. So th there's the one-on-one -on -one direct uh, communication there or watching someone else kind of struggle and feel their way through it as yeah. there's a teacher explaining, okay, this is the feeling you're going for. Mm -hmm. And then you watch that person try and fail multiple times till they find that. Like, that's just such a more valuable experience to watch. Like as an observer, you learn yeah. so much more from that, I think. And that's why talking about the along for the ride symposium, which you attended in, you know, in Vegas. Um, and again, coming from the eventing world, you went to a, <laughs> a symposium taught by reigning and cow horse trainers. Yeah. And <laughs> you've been super excited to share what you learned because so much of it applies, you know, to, to what you're yeah. doing as well. Yeah. Um, so, and it was more of a, like there was tr demonstrations obviously, but the interaction yeah. between Sean Florida, Nick Dowers and Andrea Fapani, yeah. as well as, you know, the, them swapping horses and kind of talking oh. each other through things like that was so incredible and does oh. not happen in this industry at I, all. You know? I couldn't believe that they were letting us sit there. Um, and then let me just, before I say that, let me just go back to you. So when you're watching videos of like you or like, you know, professional horse trainers train a horse, a lot of times it happens so quick that you kind of can't see. what. And so like, you need like kind of a dumb person like be riding, like <laughs> slow it down and be like, Oh, okay. Like now I'm like going like, you know, through it. And then that's what helps you learn. Um, and, and, and so that I think is the hardest part for somebody who's a professional because like, they don't even realize that they're, um, they're correcting the problem before that problem even gets there. Whereas like, someone like me is just riding along and just like the horse is bumbling through it. And then like, Hey, why don't you do this, this, and this. And I think that's what resonates with an audience is like, Oh my God, my horse does the same thing, you know? And yeah. so then like when you get to go to the symposium and Andrea got on the pleasure, uh, Aaron, I can't remember his last name, but the guy, his name is Aaron. I don't know anything about Western pleasure. Yeah. And he gets on that horse. Uh, I was like, I can't believe 
he because most people don't want to especially somebody as successful as him don't want to get into that area where they might be embarrassed they might and he didn't even care he was like oh right. i'm gonna get on this horse and then i'm gonna put you on my like first of all i was turning i was talking to my boyfriend who was with me and i was like at one point i was like you realize there's a million dollars worth of horses in the arena <laughs> like right now yep. <laughs> and, and andre is like oh yeah okay just go ahead and get on the reigning horse that's probably worth like half a million dollars or whatever <laughs> you know? yep. you're just like what is going to happen? And I literally felt like, and I can't say this enough. It was the best part of the symposium. I felt like we were able to watch the best in the world, take a private lesson from the best in the world and get like just little tidbits of like things that, that they're doing that. Yes, of course, the majority of us are not going to ever be at that level, but it doesn't mean we can't apply it to what we do. Right. And that's, you know, something I've talked with a lot of people about over the years is like, even if you're a weekend trail rider, I think there's so many concepts in, you know, from the performance realm, especially when it comes to body control on horses and just getting mm -hmm. them broke, quite frankly, just having a horse that's not an asshole to ride, you know, that's number one. And that's an actual pleasure to be on. Number two, controlling a horse's mind, you know, just little, little skills and things you can do, even if you only interact with your horse a couple of days a week to, yeah. to just be more effective around them, maintain their attention. Like, you know, in the performance world, that is so key, you know, is, is that mental control and getting a horse really dialed in. And I think even if the average horse owner that doesn't have any show aspirations, if they took like 1% of that to heart yeah. and, and put it into practice, I think they would enjoy their horses so much better, you know, yeah. but, but we see every day and, and I help people every day who they just don't know how to like effectively get their horse's attention or, you know, their horse's mouths are, are completely disconnected from their body. The horses don't guide well, they don't right. yield to leg pressure. You know, like if you just get these things just a couple percent better, no one is saying you have to go win the NRHA futurity, <laughs> yeah. but like, just, just don't get bucked off every time you go on a trail ride, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so like, let's just start with that. Yeah. You would think that, um, you would think that that would be like, inherently like uh, you know like okay like that's my goal but like a lot of people don't have that goal and you know for you know the people who haven't watched the symposium it's definitely worth the investment to they're going to put it on demand it's it's definitely worth the investment to watch it um because let's start with the first thing that you said um which is uh directing the horse's mind um it, it's funny like because as many lessons as you take everybody pretty much says the same thing but then once you hear that same thing over and over again from different places you really start to be conscious of what you're doing and so even riding my horses this week um i have a new one that i'm starting and he's exactly that he's new so he's always like every three seconds he's looking off at something else there's oh my god there's people roping over there oh my god there's somebody riding over there oh there's a plastic bag oh there's a every three seconds so instead of starting a fight with him, I would just watch his body language. The second I would lose his mind, I would just redirect his feet and just be like, oh, you're looking over there. Let's go over here. Oh, you're looking over there. Oh, let's just go over here. And just 
it's almost like a Jedi mind trick on the horse. Like you're just, you're not even starting a fight with them. You're just, you're just redirecting whatever thought process because you can see it in a horse. Like you can, you know, some horses give you less of a, uh, like a cushion. They give you less of like time before they buck you off. But you can, you always, they will always warn you leading up to it. Like they're looking at something and you can tell they're like, uh, and so it's really funny. Like, just like the, the analogy about the objects, if you just take their head and turn it the other way, then all of a sudden, whatever they were scared of, it doesn't exist anymore in their mind. Like, they're just like, oh, it's gone now, whatever. And they're focusing on whatever's in front of them. And so especially with um, the X racehorses, that comes in handy. And so to hear all three guys, um, Sean and Andrea and Nick, all talk about that, how, especially when they're first starting horses, redirect, 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 redirect. And then as the horse gets more mature, you can redirect in different ways, but like, you're going to build on that. And so the very simplest at the very simplest thing, as you're saying, like with trail riders, if they're riding down the trail and their horse looks off at something, you can redirect, make just, you can just make a circle and then, or just make a circle. I mean, it, you don't have to go crazy. Like, and so that's something that I can apply to, oh yeah. Okay. I do eventing. I'm not going to, you know, ever spin my horse ever in competition, but I can use that to redirect. And then that leads into the second thing, which is body control. And they, I would probably say those were the two biggest things in that symposium where they talked about redirecting the horse's mind and making the horse focus on what you need. Um, and then um, body control and getting just the horse broke loose. And just, all three guys do that. They all have like slightly different ways of doing it, but they all get their horses broke loose. They all get them soft and supple. And just, I mean, there's, there's no performance horse industry that you don't need a horse to be a responsive and then be soft and supple and have body control. There isn't. And people, if people who write English want to say that they're lying, like, because you have to be able to bring a horse's shoulders through a corner. You have to be able to straighten the horse out in order you, otherwise you're going to have a lot of problems. And the Western pleasure guy came in and he was doing a lot of the same things. And a lot of times people who uh, ride English will say, oh, well, I don't want my horse that low. So I don't want to get him that soft. I don't want him that low. I don't want to get him, you know, so soft that, well, actually Aaron was saying the way, like he does get them soft. And then the way he kind of gets them back up is he counter flexes them. And then he kind of bumps them off his hand a little bit. And then their head kind of comes up again which is something that I do as well. You get them really soft, as soft as, you know, you possibly can, and then you can kind of come back and then it gives you that more control. So. Right. Right. Yeah. And definitely that's something that's an insight I've applied, like in my own experience, you know, and the way I do my program, even with the younger horses, like I spend a lot of time trying to get them broke loose yielding off my leg, et cetera. There is an element sometimes where you can go back and, you know, you kind of need to 
put those pieces together or, mm-hmm. you know, in your case, like, you know, transitioning, like talking about the Western pleasure, if you don't want that particular frame or that particular look, how to elevate, you know, maybe that horse's front end or whatever. Yeah. But the point is that you've eliminated all that mental resistance. Like yep. that, that horse yeah. knows how to accept pressure and not get rattled right. about it. And that's what I think I, I wish more people understood is like what we're, what we're training these horses to do. And, and I think one of the guys, I can't remember who they got very close to saying this almost exactly, which is like, we basically want a horse talking about like the performance horse world. You Uh basically want like a professional athlete that is capable of doing something with a lot of intensity and focus, but not getting rattled about it, you know, in the way that an amateur would. Um, And I think Andrea said something similar. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but that was kind of the idea. And I think, you know, even at a lower level than that, you know, Mm -hmm. just getting basic control, say on a trail horse or trying to fix one that's a problem, you know, running off or something like teaching a horse to be trained on, to accept pressure. That's one of the side effects of things like teaching them to yield their hindquarters, bend, counter bend, flex, right. move the shoulder, you know, even just adopt a little bit of basic shape. Even if you're not yeah. trying to go for a Western pleasure look, like right. just get some face on that horse, you know, be right. able to be able to take a hold of them and have that horse's instinct be thinking softness and think accept rather yeah. than turn their head upside down. Right. And then like lean into the bit and have all these problems and it, it was hilarious to me because this year they had, um, so they have a, a big, like, so five-star eventing is the top of the sport. That's like, like, you know, there's all these different levels. And then the very top highest one is, is the five-star. And usually it takes about 10 to 12 years to get a horse to that level. Um, and so they had in the dressage portion, they have, you know, a part where they call it the rain back, where the horse has to halt and back up five steps. It has to back up five steps. Do you know, I would probably say 85% of the, and these are the top in the sport. These horses are 10 and 12 years old, 15, 16 years old. I would probably say 85% of the people, they couldn't, they were like, oh, look, and the announcers are like, this is the hardest part. Oh my God, they've got to do this rain back. And I'm like, Seriously, you can't make your horse back up without its head going upside. And but it's it, it boggles my mind. I'm like, okay, let's say you know, because they're like, well, you know, we need to teach them how to jump and all this. But what if you just spent the horses three and four year old year just getting them broke, getting them walk trot canter, you know, um, forwards, backwards, left and right, like they can go forward and back with, without resistance. People don't understand how much easier it makes all the jumping and all that when you can turn and be straight to a jump, when you can turn and the horse is balanced to a jump, when you can, and all of that stuff comes before you start jumping. And so I always tell the people, you know, I'm like, you see, the thing is, they never believe me. They just think that I pick all the horses that don't stop at jumps. Like, but like, apparently I just know I, I can look at them and I feel I'm like, that one's never going to stop at a jump. Right. So whatever. But I'm just like, it's not that it's the training and they, they don't believe it. But um, I, I definitely think that, well, I always say to people, I'm like, Hey, um, 
I'm not that great of a rider. I'm not that exceptional a rider. So I need that horse to be in it with me and to be helping me with it. Like horses have a faster reaction time than we do. So when you get into the higher levels of eventing, it's a lot like um, what Nick was talking about with the cows. If if you get out of position on a cow, you're going down the fence. Um, And I have limited knowledge. So please nobody write letters. It's like, oh my God, she's talking about it wrong. I, I don't, I don't know loads about cow horse, but this is my interpretation. If you get out of position on a cow and you're going down the fence and you're galloping and a cow is running and you start to make a mistake, you probably have under a second to correct it. And the horse probably, if they're trained correctly, can correct it quicker than you can react and then send the message to the horse. So at that point, you kind of need to be on the same brain or in the same path or whatever. Like you have to have body control and mind control. And it's the same thing in jumping as you move up the levels, like you, like the first levels, it's not really the height of the jumps. Like people think, Oh, it's the height. It's, it's not, they, they just get more complicated and closer together. And then the height comes up a little bit, but that's height to a horse it doesn't matter it matters what's going on before you get to that like they they could jump a horse if you just had one jump that was really high horses could clear it and it's not that big a deal that's not what adds the difficulty it's like you have to go down an embankment then back up and then like crazy stuff like that and so it's the same thing if you get into a jumping combination where you have four or five jumps that are less than a stride apart or a stride apart like that's under a second that you have to correct it. And then the consequences are pretty intense if you screw it up. And so I don't want to, if I'm at that level, even the level that I jumped at, I don't want to be in it by myself. I need the horse as my partner. Otherwise, because that to me decreases the level of, Oh my God, like, you know, something could happen or I could get hurt if the horse is on my side and he wants to get to the other side of the jump just as much as I do, then in my mind, that makes me, you're never a hundred percent safe when you're riding on a horse, but it makes me feel safer because we're a, we're on the same page. We have the same goal, not to say that bad stuff still can happen. Yes. Random stuff happens. The horse can catch a leg or whatever it, you know, the horse can get tangled up in the cow. It can just be random. But if you want to decrease the probability of that happening, I think that you have to do just pretty much what every one of you guys was saying and get the horse's mind and get the body control and then just start, like, make sure that you just like are always looking for that, like that better connection. I think that's what drives me. Like I'm always looking for like that little kernel of knowledge and, and, and so, you know, over the weekend, I was just like, like I just every, I'm, I'm happy it's going to be on demand so I can rewatch it and, and like and get more out of it, you know, yeah, sometimes same here. it's a lot to take in as it's happening. So anyway, yeah, that's the same here. No, totally. And I think, you know, what you said about, uh, you know, just the connection with the horse, like there's no, there's very few feelings in my opinion that can compare to going down on the fence on a horse that that understands how to rate a cow that watches a cow and 
yeah, it's, it's not that you're totally giving over control to the horse. And no, I think the, yeah. you know, they were very good in the symposium about talking about situations where it's, it's a fine balance between allowing that horse enough consistency to understand his job and to kind of take over a lot of the responsibility, but you have the ability, you have the trump card, you can step in and reassert control at any moment. And then the horse gives it to you with no resistance, you know, but, but having that, having the horse bear some of the responsibility. And as you said, use their reflexes and, and their kind of natural timing to, to their advantage. Like um, it's, it's a level of connection that unfortunately a lot of people don't feel with their horses. And I think, you know, they were very upfront about the fact that like these performance horses, when they show as futurity horses, um, they've had like five to six days a week of riding for like almost two years minimum before they ever go in a show pen. And like, you know, they're talking about how they warm up and prepare for shows and prepare for different maneuvers. And, and, all the guys were saying some variation of by this point, I know my horse, I know mm-hmm. his idiosyncrasies. I know his tendencies. So I can kind of compensate for the weaknesses a little bit, train on those more at home, but also mm-hmm. know where his talents lie. And, and I can, you know, work kind of review those things uh, when I go to the show. But the point being like they, um, they, they have that deep understanding of their horse's tendencies. And I think a lot of people, they don't even know their horse. They might've owned it for seven, eight years. Yeah. They, they might've owned that horse for a decade and they really yeah. don't know them because they've not had enough consistent riding. And yeah. when they, when they try to teach something new, you know, they meet some resistance and they kind of fall back. They kind of ease off. They don't want to push it. They don't want to open a can of worms. Right. Um, you know, whereas these guys, like you've got to be riding enough to get a baseline of your horse's capabilities and personality. Right. And then you can really dive deep and be like, you can really finesse things at that level. And I think a yeah. lot of people are way too surface level with their horses of like, they really don't understand their mind because they don't spend enough time challenging them, you know, yeah. trying to teach new things and being consistent enough. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and I, I get where they're coming. It's scary. Like, I mean, a lot of people today haven't even done as much riding as I've done, you know? And so I, I understand it's, it's scary. I get that. But then you should be in my mind, then you should be the one going to these <laughs> clinics and, and exp- like, you know, I mean, what's the harm? I mean, you're only going to learn, you're only going to come out on the other side better. So, yeah. um, Yep. You know, like that's, you know, that's, I just, I, I really do think that like a lot of times people would just rather have an excuse instead of saying, okay, like I have this problem. Let me go and find somebody who knows like how to correct it. Um, and I just, I, I just, I, I just, I can't harp on it enough that, um, you know, I, I, people you know like we're like i think i'm pretty sure i was probably the only inventor in the or only i don't even know if there's anyone in england there's a lot of cowboy hats in the in the crowd um which i don't care i'm i'm always the only whatever anywhere i don't care like i'm always the the black sheep or whatever (laughs) you know and so um i don't care but like every single thing that they said 
I apply to riding my horses. I, I, every yep. single thing that they said from, you know, from the cold starting to the body control to the every, every, everything to lead changes to, I mean, all of that stuff I'm still doing. And, yep. oh, like, we're going to, like, rule all that out because I need my horse's head a little bit up, you know, and I need them. Um, I can't have them when I uh, kind of like pick up on the reins. If I pick up on both reins, I can't have their head dive down. Um, it, but that's easy to fix. Like you don't have to like, like it's not that big a deal. I just, I just can't have their head dive down before I do a four foot jump. I need their, I need their eye line up, but it's not like you can't like, you know, correct that you can correct that. And so, um, I, I really do. I would love to, I, I did send, um, the link to the podcast out to a couple of enter trainers. Um, and I did not hear back. Um, I was just like, Hey, like, you know, just put this yeah. out there. Like, you know, and I found with people, you just got to kind of like, just scratch the surface and like show it to them and be like, Oh, I know you're not in, and then just pull back. And if they are interested, they'll be interested. So yeah, I just, just I wanted to plant the seed and I wonder if they got curious and just at least watched part of it. So um because I, I really do think, I mean, I'm shocked that they don't have I mean, I really think that if somebody wanted to be next level inventing, they would send their horses to um a high level like performance like rating type person to start them under saddle and do that first first year. I think that they, um, um, I think that they, um, I, I think that they, they would be able to be next level a lot faster. I think that they, I, you know, I, I think they're writing it off. And I think if they got the kind of body control, because the kind of body control that those guys have in a horse's three-year-old year is phenomenal. And they wouldn't even have to like because there's a lot of controversy about starting a horse as a two-year-old okay that's fine wait until it's three and so in it's three and four-year-old year you don't even have to start jumping the horse if you if if you got that body control in that year or even six months oh my god Do, yeah, i mean like so much they would easier. be everyone yeah. they would be everyone and they just like oh man it would be so cool to see them anyway <laughs> yeah no i, I think I agree with everything you're saying there. Um, and you know, there was just little, like, uh, I was watching slash listening to the live stream of it, um, over those three days. And there was just so many like little pearls and nuggets of wisdom that they were throwing out you and I, when we were talking on the phone the other day, you know, I mentioned how, you know, Andrea at one point said something to the effect of, um, you know, the, he was talking about horses mouths getting disconnected from their feet essentially, yeah. you know, that when you pick up on their face, maybe their, their head folds over and flexes, but their shoulder doesn't follow, for example, mm -hmm. you know, and talking about how mm -hmm. one of the best ways to reconnect everything is do some kind of a transition, i.e. reteach the idea through a change of speed, gait, and direction, basically, hey, when I touch your face, I need to see a change in your feet, you know, right? and like that, like he kind of glazed over that, but I can't tell you how many people I work with through training um, and through lessons and clinics that they, their horses have a soft feel, 
because they they kind you know they can flex and they can kind of mm-hmm. bend on a circle and this and that, but they really don't guide well. They don't really have control of that horse's feet, um, and like I have to help them try to repair that. You know that is a very common problem. Yeah. Um, you know, and there was another uh, like Sean when the, they were talking in more of an advanced segment. I can't remember what day it was. They were talking about preparing for the show, and he oh, said yeah. he said that. Yeah. He said that when he's, you know, he, he focuses not so much on the maneuver itself, although that's important. He focuses on the approach to the maneuver and that resonates with me. Cause I've heard that from other like very high level trainers. Like the reason their horses look so polished and confident is not just because they can spin like the way that they ride. They're not just kind of wandering around the arena like a lot of people do. And like I am guilty of, quite frankly, just kind of mm-hmm. ride around tricking yourself into thinking your horse is broke, kind of yeah. using using <laughs> the end of the arena to create your circle. Right. And then when you're in a show situation or a different environment where you don't have those crutches, then you figure out very quickly how trained yeah. your horse actually is, you know, yeah. so like not just thinking about the spin, but like as my legs come on to cue for it, what is my horse's reaction? Is he yeah, just, they, is he thinking about leaving even though yeah. he's technically going to do it? Like being yeah. aware of that stuff is so valuable to me. Um, yeah. And there, there was just little tidbits like that all through the weekend. Um, yeah. That, like, Andrea, Andrea said something like he echoed what Sean was saying about like, you know, like show prep and, and, and he was basically like, look, if the horse is turning a, a, you know, plus half at home, he's not going to turn a plus one <laughs> when you get to the shit, like, like you, it's the horse. You don't try to like, that was my, I loved it when he's, that was my little pearl that I took from that. He's like, don't try and win the warm up. Like right, because right. there's so many people that a go to like, they're trying to win the warm up or trying to win the schooling show that they paid $15 entry for it. Like, right. why are you trying to win this? I mean, <laughs> go ahead. If that's your jam. I mean, awesome. But, like me, like, I'm going to say that for like, when I spend the 500 bucks to go to a horse trial, you know, I'm not gonna, I don't care. It, it, I was just at a schooling show with Jordan and I absolutely, it was a bunch of people who do it for fun. Am I more trained? Yes. Can I go in? And if I ride Jordan, like it is a horse show, can I beat these people? Yes. It is not important to me to do that. Like, and so in the jump off, like she started to kind of drag me into one of the jumps and ch- just check out mentally. And I was like, all right, this is a schooling show. I'm going to take this opportunity to say, no, no, we're not doing that. I'm going to make you listen to me right now because when the stakes get higher, I don't need you to kind of, I need you to do what I'm asking and think for yourself, but I don't need you to start thinking stupidly and doing dumb stuff that's going to get us hurt. And so, Hey, we're at a schooling show. Is perfect opportunity to say, hey, check back into me. I made her, she was cantering towards a jump. She was galloping up. And I guess horses will do that with a cow where they try to like really get on the cow. Yep. They do the same thing with jumps. They get so hooked onto it that they can't wait to get there and, and over jump and like go crazy. And so I was like, no, now you're going to break to the trot and we're going to trot over the jump is tiny. I mean, she could step over it. So I'm just like, there's no reason to be galloping. I need you to trot now. I'm not trying to win the schooling show. Like, exactly. you know what I mean? I'm not going to try to win the warm up. I'm not going to, if the horse is doing something at home, once I get to the show, if I haven't corrected it, then it's like management time. I'm not going to try to like do something in the warm up that is the horse isn't even capable of doing. 
Um, and I know that they were both saying that they were both that was probably like my like I was laughing so hard when they were like oh don't win the warm-up and then Aaron the the pleasure horse guy was like oh yeah I'll like ride around in the warm-up and like <laughs> and like like look really bad and then like psych out everybody else <laughs> I have been known to do that I have been known <laughs> to completely demolish a jump in the warm-up and then just be like no we're ready let's go in the ring and everyone's like oh my, oh my god and i'm like no no don't worry he won't do it again it's, it's <laughs> fine it's fine and everyone's like horrified but like it's a crowd pleaser because then like you know if you just make it around the course everybody's like oh my god she's yeah. so great i thought she almost died so yeah it's definitely like that that mental game but to go back to what you were saying it it is one of those things that I think that like people who, I guess I, I was going to say people who don't compete kind of don't feel the pressure, but um, I guess like you don't necessarily have to compete to feel that and to know, like, cause if you're trail riding in one area for your whole life, then you go to some other area, that's definitely going to add pressure to your horse and you're going to oh, find sure. out how good your training is like in that yeah. moment. Yep. So, um, I just, I, I definitely like think that that was, that was really good. I, 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 yeah, I, I thought that when they, you know, just to go really quick, like through the, the best points, I think we've already, um, said what I like took from the, I mean, we could break it down into minutia, but I think that would just be boring. I think people should just watch the thing, but, um, I, I liked when they talked about, um, getting the mind and they talked about that in the in the cult starting um i liked when they talked about body control and they talked about um counter cantering which obviously i haven't been doing enough of so <laughs> which uh. i hate but <laughs> <laughs> um and uh and strangely enough all the top level inventors talk about counter canter so um because it about it helps the horse balance yep. um uh, that it was that, and then don't try to, and then just getting into when you are competing, when they were talking about it on day three and just like your mental state, when you go in and, and everyone has those rituals that they go through and anybody that plays sports, they always tell you to establish rituals and stuff. So, so that when you get to the competition, it lowers your stress level. Um, and then um, the last thing that I think we haven't touched on yet that really like spoke to me that they were talking about was um, a horse's personality and how it matches up to your personality. Yep. And how, um, so just real quick in the, in the cult starting, they did um, Nick Dowers started two cults for those of you who haven't watched it, but Nick Dowers started two cults um, that hadn't been previously, I don't think they had been previously worked with. I, I can't remember, but um, no, I don't think so. No, they were two year olds and they were pretty like, they looked really juvenile too. Um, and, uh, so he started, started two of them in, I mean, <laughs> I want to say he probably before he got on a road, he probably did like two hours of work. It was like watching a road to the horse basically. Um, and so I did want to say that for anybody who watches it, that, that cult starting was a demo. It wasn't a tutorial. It was not, Hey, this is how the average person should be starting colds that 
Nick Dowers is like this super talented horseman who he even said, I've done this a thousand times. So I know the little nuance. Oh, I'll look for this and then do that. And, and the horse reads him perfectly and all that stuff. Some idiot, like I would never try what he tried, like, because he worked, put maybe two hours of work in before he got on and rode the horse. And um, he didn't do any flexing. And even Andrea was like, wow, you're going to not flex that horse. You're just going to die. Andrea was like, okay, like, holy cow. And he didn't have any problems. But even he was saying, he was like, look, I know what I'm doing. Um, I know how to do this. Don't take little tidbits from what I'm doing and add it to your already program. This is not a tutorial that like, oh, you're going to go and buy a flag. And, and, you know, chase the horse around the flag and then put a sur single on the horse. And then, oh, yeah, okay, 15 minutes. I'm going to throw a saddle on. No, there's yeah. way more to what he was doing. Um, right. As far as that was concerned. And um, I, I, I definitely, I, I thought like the world of him. I mean, it was impressive. I was, because uh, I've never been to a road to the horse. Um, which I don't know if people know what that is, but that's a competition where, um, they, uh, three trainers are competing and they have three hours to start a horse under saddle. And then they ride a horse through a obstacle course. It's, it's crazy that it can even happen, but, um, these people are super talented and, and it's, it's definitely something to see. But, um, even with that, I thought that they, they did a pretty good job of saying, Hey, like, don't try this at home. <laughs> right. Well, you, you had mentioned to me and, and we talked about, you know, how there was a lot of that cult starting, which like you said, you're watching one of the best in the world whose feel and timing and his intuition of what a given horse needs. That's like means. there's just a, like a stream of not even consciousness. It's just instinct. Yeah. Like he knows it without it, like breathing, you know, it doesn't have yeah. to think about it. He just adapts to the situation moment to moment. And you talked about how there was this feeling almost in the audience of like, oh my God, we're watching something that's beautiful. And it's yeah. like this emotional thing. And then uh, some lady asked a question and, yep. and Nick's response was basically like, well, if he needs it, I will put a lot more pressure on yeah. the horse, you know, <laughs> yeah. like don't, don't have any illusions here. Like I will yeah. adapt to the situation depending on what the horse needs, you know? Right. Like, yeah, people were like, weeping no they weren't weeping but like <laughs> it was like I mean like when he finished everyone was like oh my god and I was too but like you could feel that oh well he didn't even have to do anything to the horse and he got up. you could feel that and then yep. the lady got up and asked if she she said oh I have a really aggressive horse that's attacking me and he didn't even let her really get the question out he was like hire a professional he was like you're you, you need a, and then he went on to answer and said, Hey, like, I know what I'm doing and horses know the difference. Horses yep. know when you don't know. And yep. he said, you like, if you're asking this question, you're in that realm of, you need to hire someone that knows. And he wasn't saying it to be insulting. He was saying it to help her be safe. And then when he said that part about, he was like, I'm, going to bring as much pressure as I need. And then sometimes that's not even enough. It, it literally, it sucked the air out of that place because everyone was like, <gasps> like they were right. like, Oh, I can't just pet 
hit him with the flag and, and then he'll stop being aggressive. And it's like, well, no, like you just watch something phenomenal with, you know, two horses that are good minded and who haven't had 15 years of getting away with crap. And, you know, I mean, and he's one of the best, like, exactly. of course he knows where to stand. I mean, there was times where he was standing there and I'm like, Oh my God, isn't he nervous? Like, cause he was like standing like in a danger zone for me. But then I'm like, well, that's not dangerous for him because he's reading the horse way better than I am, you know? And so I took it as, Oh, like, you know, okay, this is something to, you know, admire and aspire to and be like, okay, wow, that's possible for him. Somebody who's done it thousands of times, but the average even horse trainer doesn't even do it a thousand times. Right. So very true. So it's, it's like, you just, you have to go into it with that open mind. And that's what my boyfriend and I were talking about. I was like, well, we'll never do this. Like, like, like I will never, like, I will never get to that point at this point in my life. I, I spent too much time doing stupid firefighting to go and break, you know, when I'm 15, start 600 horses under saddle. Like, right. like, like, it's, it's, so I, you know, I understand that. And I felt like kind of sad for all the people that were sitting there thinking that like, oh man, like, you know, like this is the next, you know, way to, for all of us to do that. And it just, it, 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 it is, and it's beautiful and I love it and it's wonderful. But even he said, Hey, like when you get one of these sorry minded horses, I'm, he was like, I'm not going to stand there and let this horse attack me. Like he's right. like, I'm, I, I, hands down, it will not happen. Right. Like he, he couldn't have been more definite about it. And I, I wonder if it landed with <laughs> some of the people in, I, I don't, I mean, you never know, but. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I think, I think what, what was really valuable also, I guess this is maybe be my final point. Cause I could talk about it for hours, honestly. Yeah. yeah um, I have a lot of positive to say, <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. but I think like even, even people that are rank amateurs, people like myself that have a lot to learn. I think one thing the symposium highlighted very well is like when you're a beginner, I think you do need like sort of a regimented structure to follow that yeah. structure and that sort of overdone, overprepared in some ways type mm -hmm. of type of way that you train your horse that keeps you safe and it kind of keeps mm -hmm. you on track. But there's a moment if you want to advance and get to a higher level and doesn't matter what discipline, you kind of have to leave the nest a little bit of that structure. And it becomes more about your gut feeling and intuition of what the horse needs and, and yeah. thinking more in the situation, you know, um, and that is very scary for a lot of people, you know, yeah. you and I, you and I have talked about, and we know personally people that they get to that no man's land where they're beyond like the basics, the fundamentals, they're past the point that they need like a regimented program, but mm -hmm. they're kind of in this no man's land of like, well, where do I go from here? You know? And it's like, well, really the only way to improve is to work with somebody like Nick, yeah. if you can afford him or somebody yeah. that is towards that level that has yeah. that intuition and can help you with your timing because there's honestly really no other way to, you know, yeah. unless like you and I have talked about, unless you do 
you know, 10 years of mistakes and learn through trial and error, which nobody has time for. That's right. why you pay for education and training, you know, and that, and so when the, when the on-demand video comes out, like you and I have talked about, I'd be happy to spend 300 bucks more yeah. to, to get that video. I think they've priced the live stream way too low Yeah, because it was, it was extremely well done. It was one of the best produced pieces of media in the horse world of this kind that I've seen. Um, and there needs to be more of it. And it sounds like there will be, which is a great thing. Yeah. I, I agree with, um, uh, Clinton was there and he said, Oh, in three years, there'll be three times the size. And I agree. Like it was like, for those of you who weren't there, it was done right. Like you bought, you know, the ticket was $250 for three days, which is crazy. Um, <clears throat> I mean, and you got, eight, nine hours of instruction each day. And then the two nights, Friday and Saturday night, they had a basically a catered dinner. They were like, oh, it's hors d'oeuvres. You know, it was like a catered dinner and open bar. And like, if you're into that. Um, and then they had, you know, the, like they had a um, round table discussion after that, like, you know, while you're eating and drinking for free. Um, so it was like a big giant party. And then on top of that, you can't underestimate how um, you have all these great horsemen and horse breeders. And ho I mean, every, a lot of people from the horse industry in general were there. And so um, there's a lot to be said for networking at this event. It's going to bring in a lot of people. And, you know, I, I just, going back to what you were saying uh, initially, I did, I did want to mention that part about like how fun it was to actually go to the event. It really was fun. Yep. And I think it's definitely worth watching on the live stream and on demand. Um, but to the part about, you know, like as your learning increases, it is scary. Like it's scary for me. Like I don't walk into it um, with my eyes closed. Like it, it's, it's scary because um when you put out the videos of us training May, there was a day, oh God, I want to say it was either like the second or third day we were riding outside the round pen. And I've started a ton of thoroughbreds, but I've never done it at that pace before. And, and so it was like pushing my comfort level. Like I was like, holy cow, I've never gone at this fast of a pace. I always do exactly what you're saying. Like go over this, over and over and over again, just to make sure, okay, did I check that box? Okay. And there's a little bit of OCD that I have, but you know, and so there was that day where we were working with May and I felt like my feel and timing just wasn't, it was just off because I didn't know the horse as well as I normally did by that point. And so it was pushing like me to be more observant and be really, I hate this sounds so corny, but like really in the moment. <laughs> um, and yep. it was such a high level of stress that it was like, I was like, Oh my God, like I was so stressed out. Nothing was happening. I was in no danger. <laughs> you know, nothing was happening, but it was tough. It was hard and it was scary. And I think that if you want to, get to that next level, you absolutely have to make yourself just like you make the horse uncomfortable. You have to be uncomfortable too. And I was, I mean, it was like going back to that first clinic when I had zoo cruising with 17 people and I'm 
on this horse that's out of his mind and he's crazy and I'm not going to steer. Okay. Like, you know, like it was that same feeling of fear. And I, I know a lot of people don't know me, but I've done so much riding that when I get into a saddle, it's as comfortable as getting into a bed. Like that's how comfortable it feels to me. But there are moments where I'm learning how to do this horse training thing where I am so uncomfortable where I get cotton mouth, like yep. sweating, you know, and not just cause it's humid in Ohio, but like, <laughs> I'm like drenched in sweat. Like I was nervous. I was scared. Yep. And I really think that like, if people know that we're all feeling that and that's part of the learning process, they won't feel so alone and they won't feel like, Oh man, I went and watched these guys who are really good at it. And Oh, of course they can do it. Cause they're really good at it. And it's like, well, you can too. It just, you have to be willing to like be that just that little bit of uncomfortable. And, yep. and, and I would say that that's probably a harder I don't know about harder, but maybe it's just because that's where I am now, but it's, it's, it feels like a harder bridge to like a harder gap to bridge is when you get past that fundamentals and kind of intermediate zone and you're having to make your own decisions in that moment. And you're like, Oh man, does it, the horse need outside rain or, or does it need inside? Oh, I don't, Oh, I don't. And then you start getting hard on yourself. Cause you're like, Oh, I don't want to screw this horse up. I don't want to give them signals. I don't want to like, you kind of start thinking that. And then the only thing I can say is like, that's when it helps. That's why I was saying like the more you advance, you kind of need someone there going, Hey, like, no, no, you're on the right path. Because I know we've talked about this in the past. Like when I was riding, you know, we had the videos of me riding Jordan and I was putting a little bit more pressure on her than I normally do. And she's kicking out and just, and if I had been alone, I would have immediately thought, okay, I'm doing something wrong. I, this, there's, there's some doing, I will just stop and I'm doing something wrong. But you know, like you and Amy are there saying, no, 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 like, like keep pushing. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like not, not escalate pressure, but like stay there. Right. And I think you really do need that guidance to really learn otherwise it's going to take forever like you like you'll just yep. be hitting your head against and you'll have to probably go through multiple horses before you get it because you're probably screwed up so much that like like you'll be like okay well this horse is a little better and a little better but yeah yeah, yeah. well and that that's the other thing too is like you know to to kind of wrap it into something that we talked about earlier when you do the foundation right horses guide you've got body control you've got softness Yes, you eliminate a ton of resistance, but if you haven't been able to start them that way from the very beginning, and that's almost every horse, you know, the off the track horses you train, a lot of the horses that come in for remedial training for me, or even colts to start that have had handling previously, they're still coming in with baggage. So they're not right. going to learn in the ideal way. And I think there needs to be more of a conversation just in the industry about the fact that when you're trying to get to a higher level or teach the horse something that is a little more demanding, like the very fact that you're meeting resistance doesn't necessarily mean you're doing something wrong. But as right. you said, if you, if you lack the experience at that level, it's very easy to start doubting and blaming yourself that you're the problem. You must be doing something the wrong way. You're going to ruin the horse. And then you just kind of slink back down to that comfort zone. Right. You know? And, and that's where, 
like I think when our series comes out, like it shows it shows the ugly stuff, and there is ugly yeah. stuff in horse training too that we should not be shying away from. Right. Um, and I think that's valuable. But... And I think like what you were saying about people really wanting to invest in education is a hundred percent true. I, I think that people, you know, shouldn't think about the cost of investing in education. I, I really um like I said, in the very beginning, I had to save up, like I had to like pay in increments and it, like, I've never done anything more valuable for, um, my life with horses than that initial thousand bucks that I spent for that three-day clinic. And like you were saying, like, even for the symposium, like, like we were an hour into it. And my boyfriend who is just a real casual, you know, horseback rider just turns to me and he was like, we stole this much. He was like, yeah, already he was like yeah. he was like it should be like 250 a day like he was like are you kidding me like you know and i just you know just like in closing i, I thought it was their interaction the three of them it was great and i just even if you're a casual horse person to watch three of the best in the world at what they're doing and in handling horses and pretty much you've got a front row seat to them taking a private lesson. You, you can't, I know I've already said that, but like you, you just, you can't, I mean, it's, you can't even put it into words how valuable it was. Um, yeah. And I was happy that they, even Nick at one point was like, I can't believe I didn't have to pay to come to this. Like, Sean would just be like, oh, like, let me just, you know, do this. And then the horse is like, fix. And you're like, and even Andrea at one point was like, oh, I can't, I was, so just on what you were saying about like how like you'll meet resistance and you'll kind of just fall back into your old ways. Even Andrea said that because I think it was, on, it was on day two and Sean was riding, well, Sean rode all of Andrea's horses. Like Andrea brought a bunch of horses and Sean they each rode Andrea's horses and Andrea or Sean was riding. I can't remember which horse it was because now I'm all confused, but he was riding. I think it was like the black gelding or a black style, like a dark bay stallion. And it had trouble. Like it was falling in a lot to the inside of the circle and it was falling in on the turnaround or something like that. Um, And Sean was like, Andrea was taking it he was attacking the problem one way thinking it was a whole different thing. And Sean just said, Oh, but what if you just do this? And it was this real slight change, but it was a completely different direction than Andrea was going. And Andrea was just like, like you saw him learn in that moment. Yep. And I was like, Oh my, like, first of all, everybody in the arena just learned something. And then Andrea was like, Oh, Oh, I was so stuck in my mindset that I needed that outside person to come in and say, Oh, what about this? And then boom, the horse got better. And then Andrea was like, so if people are feeling like, Oh, I'm going to feel stupid to learn because, Oh, I should have known that here. You've got the number one guy in the world learning from in public in front of everybody. Like yeah. he was like, oh my God, I've been completely going at this the wrong way. Yeah. And I, I thought just that, if that was the only takeaway that you had from that symposium, that moment 
probably when, when Andre was like, and he made a joke about it. Like he was like, oh shit. Like, oh, I can't believe it. he's like, oh, I'm still going to beat you on that horse. And like, and that was <laughs> your fault because you corrected it. Yeah. But that was, I thought that just that point alone is why if, because if that guy who's the best can humble himself and learn in public, then who am I? I mean, like, who is this trail ride? Like, you know, like, yeah, exactly. you well, can't go learn. <laughs> and it's funny too, like in, in the horse world, as well as in other places, like, it's funny. I've, I've met even like professional athletes that are like at the top levels, like major league baseball, for example, a guy who makes like a couple mil, like 10 million a year or more. Yeah. Usually not always, but usually those people that have achieved that level of success, you'll find them to be the most down to earth, like mm-hmm. ready to have somebody call them on their bullshit. They're super coachable. I mean, success leaves clues. You know, you see these guys at the top level, how humble they are, how willing they are to collaborate, share knowledge versus a lot of like mid pack and low level trainers that are so arrogant and just so (laughs) set in their ways, you know, and it's funny to see that contrast with like the top guys that are like, Mm -hmm. yeah, tell me I'm wrong. I'm always open to learning something, you know, it's, it's, that's one lesson. And I think the other part that was super valuable, I guess I'll end it up with this is mm-hmm. um, a lot of what these guys were doing. I felt over the course of those three days, they were verbalizing a lot or trying to verbalize or, or, you know, put into words, things that are, that are, that they're feeling on an intuition level, given what the horse needs, like, Oh, he's leaning here. So I'm going to turn this into a counter cantering exercise to kind of straighten him and stand the shoulder up right here. I feel like this is what he needs and talking through those things, which is super hard to do. And I commend all these guys for that because like the, the part of your brain that gives you that gut feeling is like completely separate from (laughs) like the language part. Like that's, I, I, I can't cite the source off the top of my head, but I read that in a, in a neuroscience book talking about horsemanship, that the reason it's so damn hard to teach this stuff at a high level mm-hmm. is because it's really hard to verbalize a gut feeling. Those parts yeah. of your brain, the gut feeling and the language processing part don't even talk to each other. Mm-hmm. And so, it, you know, it's like people say things like, well, I, I've got a feeling I can't describe it, you know, but I just had this gut feeling. It's because you you almost physically can't put it into words. Right. All during the weekend, these guys were trying to put that into words and explain the thought process behind what they were doing. And like you said, they're three of the most successful in really history um, at this game, you know? And so you can't help, but like, even in the reflected glow of it, be getting some knowledge from that. Um, So I definitely want to commend them for doing that. And I think like you had mentioned to me previously, I think every year they do this, it'll get better. And hopefully it, it raises the water level across the industry of like the standard for, for how this teaching can be done as opposed yeah. to like a lot of trainers I've worked with, quite frankly, they make it very hard on you to learn. And yeah. it's, it's kind of a case of like, well, I figured it out through trial and error. So you know what? Just go beat your head against a wall till you figure it out. You know. Oh, really? So and you've had, so you've had people be like that to you. Like, you've had people kind of stand in your way of of um, kind of learning and stuff. Or 
Well, yeah. I mean, like I, I will say this, kind of going along with what I said earlier, the guys I've worked for that have been the most successful in terms of mm-hmm. like accomplishments and accolades or just money made in the industry. Typically, one of the reasons they are the best at what they do is because they can communicate and they're very much open books, willing to learn. And typically they've learned from a lot of people, you know, but I've, I've worked for some mid and even low level trainers. Like when I first started my career, I apprenticed for a couple different cutting horse trainers. One was like a super low level guy. The other, I mean, he had like won the futurity and done some stuff. Like he wasn't, he wasn't like world famous on, on, you know, but he was, he was, he was in the running, let's say. Right. Okay. Um, He had, he had some street cred, but he was the worst teacher I've ever been around. Could not verbalize what to do. And his fallback, his fallback was basically, well, you'll figure it out, you know, or he would tell you that something sucks, but not how to fix it. Um, right. And just wasn't interested in finding the words, you know, to describe, like, even, even tell me what feeling I should be going for. And then mm-hmm. let me, you know, play with the horse and, and try to feel it out. It wasn't even that it was just like, well, that sucks. Well, what should I do different? I don't know. Do something different. You know, is that it was very <laughs> much that. Um, so I've been on both ends of the scale. I've, I've learned yeah. from people, you know, where I'm almost trying to like desperately pump info out of them because they just don't know how to talk. And then Mm -hmm. I've been, you know, I've apprenticed with people who are great communicators. So I think, you know, overall, like what these guys were doing, I really respect with the symposium because they are practitioners of the craft. They are out there actually doing this. They don't make a living off teaching it. No, it would, it would be the equivalent of like a top formula one driver, like Lewis Hamilton, Mm-hmm. giving a driving instruction like clinic basically like yeah. somebody who's a practitioner that doesn't teach trying to figure out how to teach it effectively i think it's a really yeah. cool it's really cool i really commend them for doing it and um, it's not easy it is not exactly each it's not easy exactly what you're saying like putting that stuff into words and especially like in that moment when it's happening like yep like in your your mind is going at a and you're like well I know what I would do but like they're sitting different so that's going to change it like and so you're trying to think about that and I think exactly like what you're saying the more that they're already good at it and so like the more they do it like with each year it, it's going to be like I mean I'm happy that I was there at the first one I mean I, you know I, I can't wait to see what's going to happen in the future yeah absolutely so, well, we'll wrap it up there, I think. So those of you, because I had talked to my, some of my subscribers that either weren't even aware that this event happened or they were like, yeah, I saw something about it, but blah, blah, blah. So this symposium, I believe they're going to release on-demand video. So you can literally go back and watch this anytime you want, replay it, revisit it as many times as you want. Um, just pay attention to either Andrea Fapani's Facebook page along for the ride has a Facebook page along yeah. for the ride.pro is the website. I would highly recommend no matter what level of horsemanship you're at, if you haven't yeah. seen this, it will be a great investment. And here's the best part. It's pure knowledge. Like this is not a pitch fest, like at a lot of horse expos where right. it's a little bit of training content and then buy my shit. 
It was no. none of that. It was no. straight knowledge all three days, just like just like a fire hose of information. Um, and you will not be disappointed. And and they're entertaining too. I mean, they're yeah. joking around and it, it's it was really fun to watch. It wasn't dry at all. Um, it was really entertaining. It was, you know, like you said earlier, it was really well produced. I mean, everything it was really well thought out for, because usually anytime you do something for the first time, it, it turns out like a little wacky, but this was well done. And, you know, like I said, if I, you know, if I can get, you know, 10 times my money's worth um, and I'm an inventor, like, I mean, I think anybody can get a, something out of it, you know, for sure. For sure. Alrighty. Well, guys, thank you for joining us here. To those of you that have been watching, we'll post the replay on mm -hmm. my page, on Jennifer's page. We're going to put this in the podcast feed as well. Um, so feel free to interact with us there. Um, and if you went to the symposium or you watched yeah. it, be happy to talk to you about your experience and thoughts. If you want to share insights, um, always open to that. And we have a Facebook group as well. So Either of those channels are, are great just for talking about horsemanship, edu horsemanship education, the process of learning that we're all in at some level. We're all trying to get better. Let's help each other and, and talk about it. And, and this was a great, I think, a, a platform uh, to do just that. So thank you, Jennifer. I really appreciate you joining me for this. It's been awesome. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Horseman's Academy podcast. If you enjoyed it, be sure to leave a five-star rating to help other horsemen just like you find the podcast. To learn more about the Horseman's Academy or to submit a training question you want covered on the show, visit www.lundallperformance.com.